Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome to Mind Love, episode 130. Today's episode is all about aligning your whole life. If you want to feel a certain way and you're eating all the supplements and you're doing all the self-affirmations and then you open your eyes from the self-affirmations and you see a shithole that you're in, it's like, oh, interesting. Well, I'm back to where I was at because I'm contained and regulated by the field. Get real about yourself and get real about the, the container that you inhabit. Get real about the clothing that you wear. What are the colors like? Are they stretchy? Are you able to go through a full range of motion? Well, if you're not, why are you wondering why your hips are tight? Why are you wondering why you can't get your arms all the way over your head? You're literally wearing a cast on your body all day. Your whole body, your whole day, it's under a state of construction based off of you being the foreman of your show. Turn up your frequency with Mind Love. Bite-sized brain hacks for seekers, dreamers, and doers. It's time to give your mind a little love with your host, Melissa Monti. Hi, friends and wild people. First off, if you haven't subscribed to the podcast yet, please hit the subscribe button. More subscribers means even better guests and tons more value. Plus, it helps me grow the show so more people can find it. And if you ask me, everyone could use a little more mind love. Everything is connected. And I'm not just speaking in the spiritual sense. I mean physically, too. Our minds and bodies work together like one big machine. If you're neglecting one area of your life, there's a good chance that the other areas are affected, too. And for some reason, people relate better to car references than they do to their own human references. <laughs> so with your car, something as simple as not keeping up with regular oil changes can eventually lead to damaging the entire engine. Well, the same is true for our lives. Neglecting our body signals can lead to bigger health problems. Money issues can lead to relationship issues. A chaotic home can mean a chaotic mind. Like I said, it's all connected. I always feel most powerful in January. It's a new year, a fresh start. I usually set goals in all the major areas of my life, like finances, family, health, money. So I usually end up spring cleaning in the middle of winter, setting up my budget, cutting back or giving up alcohol for the month, and setting all my big goals for the year. By the end of January, I feel like a freaking warrior goddess ready to slay. I do set and achieve goals year-round, but January is always the most powerful because it's the most all-inclusive for me. And that's because I work my butt off to completely align my life with the highest version of myself accessible to me that year, which is usually a step up from the year before. And now I'm working to integrate that feeling way beyond just January. I want that kind of alignment to be life. So the alignment we're talking about today isn't just about spirituality or posture. It's about how to have a truly aligned life. Our guest is Aaron Alexander. He's a pioneering manual therapist and movement coach with over 16 years of professional experience, 
with clients ranging from A-list Hollywood celebrities to professional athletes and everyone in between. You might recognize him from the Align podcast, where he has interviewed more than 300 of the world's thought leaders on physical and psychological well-being. Aaron is a new friend of mine, so I'm really excited about having him on the show today. And three key things we will learn are the power of self-praise, how to incorporate play in daily activities, and how to shift your environment to meet your goals. Also, it is my birthday in two days. I can't believe I'm almost 35. Is this the year I'll finally start feeling like a grown-up? Eh, doubt it. But what I am asking for this year is to please follow me on Instagram at mindlovemelissa. Because, you know, I'm trying to build that shit up. Plus, we'll have our own little virtual party. But before we get started, do you want to know the best way to start each day with a little more alignment? Sign up for the Morning Mind Love for daily inspirational emails right to your inbox. And I'm doing something special right now and tailoring these messages to the things that lift our spirits during self-isolation, fear, and uncertainty. And it's helping. Just yesterday, I got a reply saying, thank you so much. These messages are going right to the core of what we need during these troubled times. And someone else who said, thank you so much for the morning mind love. They are everything. And when you sign up, you'll get some amazing free gifts, like a free guided binaural affirmation meditation designed to rewire your brain to a higher vibration. And you'll get one of my favorite tools, a booklet of my personal power lists to help you gain clarity and live with intention, even when you're stressed. And it's all completely free. So join over 8,000 people and go to mindlove.com to sign up. Or if you're out and about, just text the word morning to 33777. That's morning to 33777. And now let's welcome Aaron Alexander to the show. Thanks so much for having me. I appreciate it. First, let's get a little background on you. And why did you become so interested in human optimization in the first place? Human optimization. I think that I've never heard it described that way in relation to me, but I <laughs> think that why? When it's put that way, I kind of think of it from a different lens. I came up from a place like at a younger age of kind of like body dysmorphia and lots of insecurity. But my body dysmorphia wasn't that I needed to be skinnier, it was that I needed to be bigger, like more, like I wasn't enough. So I just felt this urge to pack on as much slabs of muscle as I possibly could, as fast as I possibly could. And before taking, if there was ever like pictures taken, which were, there weren't as many when I was in high school as there are now, but if there was ever like a picture being taken, I would like do a bunch of push-ups and try to get this like pump, you know, to try to be as like big as I could in the pictures. And that led into lots of imbalance from incorrect training patterns, like focusing on the beach muscles, lateral muscles, and then led into lots of injury and sensations of anxiety and kind of almost like disassociation, disconnection from myself. Like anhedonia is like a, a fancy term for that. Almost like numb to feelings. And there was all sorts of other things happening in the background. And then injuries, pain, all that stuff led into putting the pieces back together. And that's what I've been in process essentially for, I would say, really intentionally slash professionally putting pieces together for... 13 years. And then before that, I was on personal training for a little while. So it's been like a 13-year-old journey of intentionally seeking out modalities of how do we start to integrate the parts as opposed to just making them bigger. Yeah, I can relate, but opposite spectrum. I had a really severe eating disorder for a good decade of my life. And I remember even being really young, 
it makes me so sad thinking that people are that age and really being so focused on their body. And for me, it was like my body wasn't for me. It was for everybody else. What do people think of my body was more important to me than how I felt in my body at that time until I did what doctors told me was irreversible damage ended up leading to my veganism and a bunch of other different healing things. But it was a weird reality to realize that I wasn't at home in my body. I didn't know how to move it in a way that was conducive to my health or to my success. And it was like I was always trying to either suck in or hide myself or show it off when I was proud. But there was only these like 1% of the moments that I was proud. And it's still something that I have to watch myself with today. It was like old habits of thought. Do you still ever go back to or have moments of having that body dysmorphia? Or do you feel like you've totally come over that other side? I would not at all classify any of my self-perception as being like body dysmorphia at this point. Just because I think people that like are actually suffering from that would be like, come on, bud. I still have a little bit of an inclination because my belief system is that society will applaud my physical form more if I have some more like muscles attached to my body. Mm -hmm. And so that is something that I consciously maintain because my belief, which may or may not be correct, is that I will be more well respected by a variety of people, such as like, you know, crossfitting community or any kind of like, you know, people that are more attached to like power, like moving weights. So I intentionally, a lot of this, the work that I do presently is talking a lot about like feelings and emotions and how our postural patterns are tied up in the way that we think and the way that we feel, the power of mindfulness and things of that nature. And so my belief is that those conversations will be taking more seriously by a wider group of people if they see a dude that looks like the typical muscle and fitness type person and he's talking about these other conversations that are more like yoga journal. So in a sense, maybe kind of, and, and my belief systems might be partially incorrect or maybe they're right. But nonetheless, like, yeah, I, I still observe my physical form in uh, kind of a little strange way, I think. <laughs> <laughs> I feel, I think we all do in some way. It's, it's really odd. You had mentioned in your book about you kind of had a tough childhood and it, what, you didn't really feel safe there. And then that moved you into bodybuilding. What was that like for you? What was that journey and how did you move beyond it? Yeah. Well, so the story with that is my dad started, to me, it was like a pretty darn good father. And now is again, he's like come out of his ways, which is great. But he got just grossly addicted to crack, okay? And there's all sorts of interesting, weird things. He got into like a lot of things. He ended up going to prison when I was like 17 or so. And before that, things were pretty funny at home. And I think that led my belief, my story around this, which again, may or may not be completely correct. But my story is that because of instability in my home environment, that led to me needing to compensate by creating excessive rigidity and stability in my biological environment. And so that was the way I describe in the book is kind of like a fascinating beginning foray into observing the way that our environment and thoughts and feelings and emotional experience informs our physical experience. 
and then vice versa. It's like two ends of the same rope. So we can start to speak into the way that we think and the way that we feel via our physical selves. And we can speak into our physical selves via more like yin, softer type approaches. It's very fascinating. The world just gets more interesting when you start to perceive yourself through that lens. I like the way you said, at least the story that I have for that, the thing that makes sense to you in your mind. It's been a weird journey for me, even going back. I've had so many issues that I've had to overcome. And there's that need to want to see exactly where it came from. But I can never fully know. And it's probably a ton of different things combined. These things that immediately come to mind are likely my intuition saying, yeah, this had an effect, but it's not always the whole picture. And what I find too is a lot of people that have gone through years of therapy or they're seeking the reasons, sometimes they get too stuck in the why or those past moments and they find it hard to move past. They just are constantly reliving that trauma over and over again. And if this is your first time giving your mind a little love, I have a few goodies for you. First, don't forget to subscribe so you never miss an episode. And second, sign up for the Morning Mind Love. Think of it like a weekday oracle from your highest self to help you start each day with a positive focus. Plus, you'll get two gifts absolutely free, a 30-minute binaural meditation and 30 days of journaling prompts to help you remember who you truly are. So join over 9,000 people and go to mindlove.com to sign up or text the word morning to 33777. We're all here just trying to live our best lives, right? And while you're here listening to a podcast, you might feel like you're on the right track, but then you visit family or you have a work deadline or something unexpected comes up and you're all stressed out and it feels like all the work is out the window. That's why it's so important to consciously curate what you can control, like who you surround yourself with, what you watch, what you listen to. So I'm going to add another podcast to your toolbox, The Dr. John Deloney Show. He has a PhD in counseling and has been sitting with hurting people for 20 years. He shares practical advice for everything from how to connect with people, how to face depression, overcome anxiety, and learn just what it means to be well. But what's really cool about his show is you can even leave a voicemail or send an email and he'll address your topic or question about mental or emotional help on the show. So no matter what you're going through, the Dr. John Deloney show is here for you. Listen to the Dr. John Deloney show wherever you get your podcasts or follow the link on the website. Yeah, we are creatures of a habit, you know, like William James. He was like the father of modern psychology. People call him. It's like, that's something that he referred to amongst lots of other people. But we are practicing being ourselves physically, mentally, emotionally. And so our thoughts are continually, you're doing repetitions of thought. And so I think that we can be so ingrained in practicing improvement because we're not there. We're not enough. We're so obsessed with doing the work that we, and I love Byron Katie. She's like a friend in Sweden. And that's kind of like her thing, but you know, we can get so attached to, to always doing the work that we can miss out on just living our lives when actually enjoying this physical experience that will pass, you know, probably sooner than we think. There's also another approach of starting to praise. I was saying, I was just doing a podcast interview with a friend Tamar, who's like this, she's the dog trainer of everybody, Oprah and Tony Robbins and Mm -hmm. like all these people. 
And one of the things that she was talking about in our conversation was the value of praising your dog when they're doing the right thing, as opposed to only swatting it or spraying water at it or whatever the heck you do when they do the bad thing. Because once they do the bad thing, they're kind of like, okay, I don't know why you're abusing me right now. I don't really understand. Like they're not necessarily even making that connection. But if you can switch the script and go from the perspective of just praising those positive parts, then they'll be more inclined to start to do those more regularly. And I think we treat ourselves very similarly where we just focus on all the negative crap that we do. And we feel we don't really leave enough bandwidth or space to, to praise ourselves and love ourselves. And in fact, especially being like a white male or like an you know, attractive female in Western culture, especially white female, self-love, it's like you're too privileged for self-love. You just like self-deprecation is the thing that's more socially acceptable. But then what you see is middle-aged men end up having a really stupidly high incidence of, of ending their lives. So I think that I wonder where that's coming from. I think there's a lot of different angles from that. I, you know, I'm not, I'm, I know I'm like out of my scope to be discussing what the heck that is, but I think it is interesting that our thoughts become our actions and we can start to go in and retool our lives by starting to retool the way that we think. And I think that embracing, well, I, I'm doing a good job. I am really a compassionate person. I'm really good at doing this accounting thing. Like I just crush this stuff and really embracing the things that we do well, as opposed to just coming back on all the stuff that we suck at, but it's a practice, you know, we're habitual creatures. Yeah. It's, I remember I had high self-esteem to a certain age, <laughs> like a lot of us do. And I remember in particular this one time, and I think it was third grade where I said something like, well, oh, I'll do this role. We were in a group environment. I was like, well, I'll do this thing because I'm good at it. And like two of the girls were like, you're so conceited. And we're just mm -hmm. not taught to praise ourselves. And we're actually yeah. fearful of doing so, especially in a public environment. And that's something that really changed my life was learning how to first receive a compliment at all. And second, learn to give them to myself. I wanted to touch on something you said about praising the dogs. My dog and I have an awkwardly close intimate relationship <laughs> his name's maverick every morning i do what i call mavermations and i rub his cheeks Good. and i'm like everybody loves you you keep everyone's laps warm <laughs> i just do these little mavermations and he is the most confident dog <laughs> so i yeah. highly yeah, recommend you're, yeah you're teaching them to and then i think even at the same time though i think there's Siddhartha, the Buddha, the story goes, he grew up, you know, in this like palace and they didn't want him to expose him to any type of pain or trauma or he grew up in this like artificial environment, which you could say would be like a very terrible thing. It would be like in a lot of homes, I'd be like, oh man, you're like handicapping that kid. You're destroying his life. But then he ends up being freaking Buddha from it. So I think you never really know how things are going to go, which is again, why I come back to I'm a little suspicious of my own stories, as you've already gathered. So I go back to like, this is the story. I just, you just never know what's going to create what, like the butterfly effect. You just don't know. Yeah. Ayahuasca journey one time. And I had this kind of moment of realizing whatever story I was telling myself was such a small fraction of the picture and that it was much deeper and from much earlier than that. And uh, like mm -hmm. pre-lifetime. It's weird yep. because there's certain times where I get these specific visions. I was told by a psychic, too, that kind of reinforced it, that 
I was at one time living in a war-torn area. And so I don't think we even have a fraction of the knowledge of what's actually true in this universe. And sometimes the psychedelics will do that. It gives you access to this other dimension that you don't see when you're right here right now, which is why coming back to the body and being in the present moment is, in my opinion, one of the most important ways to move through all of it rather than trying to untangle so much. There's only so much you can do by just living in those past stories, in my well, opinion. In, in the process of like trying, that's where I think a lot of the trouble lies, you know, whereas most of the deepest work, to use that word again, will be a process of learning how to let go and learning how to let be and learning how to listen. So as long as you're in more of like a masculine try, I think a lot of our issues can feel a little bit more like a, what do they call it? Like a Chinese finger trap. You, know, you mm -hmm. pull it and you're like, I'm trying to pull my finger out. Yeah. You know, but if you can lean into the trap, all of a sudden it creates spaciousness. And now we can just, oh, you know, start to, oh, wow, my finger just slides out. And so I, I think that that's a big thing. Again, it's all cultural learning. You know, so we've learned that the way that you do things is no pain, no gain, push harder, go, go, go. You're never enough. Goes again beyond my scope of awareness a bit, but going to like the financial system and the, you know, the system that we're entrenched in is one that from the origin of the original dollar, there's interest attached to that dollar. And then that goes into, you know, bank systems and property owners, et cetera, which there's tax on top of that beyond that. So now the bank's loaning money out with interest on top of a dollar that originally started from a place of interest. So now the necessity to grow and become more, 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 that's like so deeply entrenched in our pocketbooks, you know, and which is, which guides our decisions so much. And you see like when the grocery stores started charging a nickel or whatever the heck it was for a bag, everybody's like, Oh my God, okay. I'm carrying my goods and I'm carrying, you know, milk and apples and spilling stuff in the ground because I don't want to pay the nickel for the bag. It's like we're so guided by our financial situation. And I think oftentimes culturally, again, especially if you're more of like a new age community, a tendency is to kind of pretend that money is just the root of all evil and kind of resist it. And if you have money, it's a bad thing. But I think that, you know, there's another book called The Soul of Money. That's interesting. It kind of talks about money is it's like a relationship with anything. It's like a living, breathing thing. It's like in your relationship with Maverick, you and your relationship with money. Do you hoard it? Do you hold it down? Do you keep it from breathing and circulating? Or do you just throw it away? You don't really have any value of it. When you get it, it's right out. And there's a way to nurture that relationship, just like back into things that I actually have some semblance of at least like researching is your relationship with your body. You know, so you can relate, you can nurture the parts that you already love and you can give yourself that like, man, you know what, how often have you asked yourself or looked in and said like, what feels good in my body right now? Probably like a really long time, if ever, for most people listening. It's to be like, oh man, my shoulder hurts, my neck, and oh man, I got this IBS stuff, and ah. You know, so your lens of your physical experience is completely saturated in what sucks. You know, and so perhaps maybe something that could be of benefit would be to go in and just take some time each day, maybe, you know, two minutes and just observe like what feels good, what's working well and be grateful for that stuff. And what can perhaps happen just as like one potential interesting example among other tracks we could go. But 
we start to almost, you know, where your attention goes, energy flows. So we start to put more attention into those places that are feeling well. Perhaps that will start to spill into other parts of ourselves. Maybe we'll start to feel more confident, a little more energetic, as opposed to having this identity structure of like, oh, I'm sick or I'm in pain or I'm, you know, anyways. You said ayahuasca, so I'm going out in the mechanics. We could talk about mechanics too. Well, it's funny that this, well, it's exactly how the universe works, that this topic is coming up. I send out a daily email called the Morning Mind Love with just little inspirations. And today, more people reached out afterwards than in a while. I got like seven responses. And it was all about that concept of being overdoing. And it's just like that you are a growing person simply because you are living today. Even if you're not pushing yourself to that extra step that you think you need to get that extra bit of worth that you think is going to make you feel better. You're never going to feel better getting that extra thing that you're seeking if you're not okay with what's right here right now. But at the same time, that self-love journey, I've had a lot of people reach out too where they're just like, I don't know how to love myself. I can't. Every time I do, I almost scoff at myself even trying. And so focusing on those things that I think a lot of people try to go for the hard stuff. They're like, I hate my stomach. So I'm going to sit here and try to make myself love my stomach right now. When maybe at first you need to amplify the love for those other areas. Just like you said, what do you at least not hate right now? If you're still struggling so much. I think there is also something, there is a difference that I was starting to kind of tread into of, you know, where I was treading into like, just love everything as it is. I think there is value to that, but then there's also something to, being honest with yourself mm-hmm. and saying, you know what, I'm putting like toxic food into my body, Oh yeah. you know, or I'm, I'm sitting in positions that are inherently putting stress on the discs in my spine. And that disc herniation may have something to do with the mechanics of the way that I exist in my body or my breathing patterns are such that they would be analog to me being like chased by a lion or something, you know, where I'm like, mm-hmm. I'm anxious as I'm breathing and I'm breathing through my mouth as though I'm like struggling to get to the top of a hill. Okay, interesting. The mechanics of my breath, which is a one-one relationship, the mechanics of your breathing is the state of your autonomic nervous system. You know, we can change the mechanics of our breath, almost think of it like a dial. So we can turn the dial into rest, digest, repair, healing, calming response, or we can turn the dial up the other side and go into like more fight, flight, cortisol, go. It's a beautiful thing to be able to do that. You need to be able to access that response. It's, it's immensely valuable to like keep you alive in daily life. But I think that it's not just like Tony, I got this from Tony Robbins. He says like, it's not just like praying that there's not weeds. Like you have to go out and actually pick the fucking weeds. So you actually do have to do the work. And along with that, I think that our thoughts can be the thing that actually gets us off the couch in the first place to do the work. It's not just think happy thoughts. It's also you have to go pick the fucking weeds. And then within that, in the culture that we have grown up in, the school system you know, there's a guy called Marshall McLuhan that wrote a book called The Medium is the Massage. And his like big thing was that the medium is the message. And he kind of, they changed it to the medium is the massage. The medium in which we gather information is more potent on the effect on our minds and our bodies than the actual details of the information itself. So when you're in a school for 12 years and then you go into a college and you go into the, the office job and whatever, during that time, you think that you're learning about algebra and history and whatever subjects, but 
In fact, your body's learning to sit, hunch over that chair, be underneath artificial lights, which are inherently stressful. You know, so it's that alternating flipping current as opposed to a direct current like you get from the sun. Not be able to stare out beyond the distance of those walls, which inherently puts your body and then you're into a screen or into a book, which puts your visual system, when you look out into a panorama, that puts your body into a more rest, digestive, healing state. You know, so people thinking about this now, just envision or actually do it. Look out over the trees or look out over an ocean or look out over the mountains or the desert. And if you allow the eyes to relax, like we were saying, that relationship with the breath, it's tied into your physiological state. So is your vision. You allow those eyes to relax and all of a sudden your whole body goes, oh, wow, what was I so stressed about? Now, get your cell phone out, jam your eyeballs into that. And now all of a sudden we go right back into more of this Imagine if you were like hunter-gatherer times, that focus, mm. you're focusing, say you're trying to like pull the bow back to shoot a whatever, woolly mammoth or whatever the heck it is. You're honed in, like think of like a shark, the way that a shark cruises around the ocean, it's very targeted. You look at it, it's like, wow, he's like focused. You know, so our vision is continually playing our autonomic nervous system just the way that our breath is. So just as a fun thing that people can play with, so the medium is, is the message, the medium in which that our bodies are grow up in, the mold that we grow in is one of stress, is one of structural collapse for the most part. If you look at any classroom or office environment, look around and see if you could load, say, 150 pounds or 200 pounds on the spines of the people in their chairs. Almost 99% of the people would be like, no way, it would be super dangerous. But you have the weight of gravity, you know, 9.8 meters per second squared. You have that weight pushing down, pouring through your body all day long. You always have stress pouring through your body. You know, so if we could start to pay a little bit more attention into the mechanics of what does it mean to be in an integrated, strong, upright, creative, confident, aligned body, what does that mean? Then all of a sudden, any situation can start to become an opportunity as opposed to a slow battle of attrition where we wear ourselves down and try to get by in life. Like life should be a celebration. You know, yeah. if it's not, you are missing it. If your life is not a celebration, you will be dead without a doubt. And you will look back and say, fuck, <laughs> I missed it. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. I really need to get something off my chest. Being a mom of a three-year-old boy is really freaking hard, and sometimes it has me questioning my sanity. But then he'll grab my face and call me his sweet little mama. Yes, that's a real thing he says, <laughs> and it will all melt away until I break his banana. I thought I was done with emotionally abusive relationships, but nope. We all carry around stressors, big and small, and when we keep them all bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. For me, just talking things through is hugely helpful, but it's so hard finding friends and family that are unbiased or non-judgmental. And therapy isn't just about dealing with major trauma, you know? 
It's about learning healthy coping mechanisms, setting boundaries, becoming the best version of yourself. And BetterHelp makes it super convenient, too. Everything's done online so you can fit therapy sessions around your schedule. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash MindLove today and get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash MindLove. And now for another episode of Lies We've Been Told About Our Health. We've all heard we need eight glasses of water a day, right? Well, hydration isn't actually about water intake. It's about the balance of water and electrolytes so that our bodies are actually absorbing the water instead of just passing it through. A lot of people go for those sugary sports drinks, but let's be real, those do more harm than good. I've found a better solution. Element. It's a zero-sugar electrolyte drink that's all about effective hydration. Each pack gives you essential electrolytes like sodium and potassium without the unnecessary additives found in other drinks. The team behind Element includes experts in biochemistry and nutrition, so they really know what they're doing. And it's not just for everyday use either. Elite athletes and teams, Olympic weightlifters, CrossFit champions, Navy SEALs, all rely on it too, which to me says a lot about its effectiveness. Here's what makes them really unique. They recently launched a hot chocolate line with flavors like chocolate mint, chocolate chai, and chocolate raspberry. Ever since I went alcohol-free, I've been really intentional about luxurious, health-focused drinks so I can sit back and unwind while actually doing good for my body. And the Element Chocolate Chai is great for relaxing in the evening or warming up after winter sports. And you can try Element totally risk-free. If you don't like it, you'll get your money back. No questions asked. Receive a free Element sample pack with any order when you purchase through drinkelement.com slash mindlove. That's drinklmnt.com slash mindlove to get a free starter pack with any order. Like what you said in the beginning of that about being really honest with yourself because there's so many equality movements happening and whatever, but I feel like sometimes the message of remembering, hey, there's a point of health that you should still stay at. Don't beat yourself up and develop some sort of self-loathing, but how can you view your current situation as the observer, even if it's your habits of sitting down at your desk all the time? I know humans do not like change, and so we like to pretend, well, it's not really going to happen to me, or well, I'm not going to completely break down because you don't feel it quite yet, but if you are constantly sitting the whole time and you're not getting up to play or to exercise your body, then you're developing these habits that are going to affect more than just the way you sit or just that pain in your hip. I like a part in your book where you, you were talking about how your movements are literally the expression of the way that you think and feel. And I know if anyone saw the viral TED Talk by Amy Cuddy about power posing and her book Presence, and you had even referenced a study at SF. SU about how it affects your memories. 85% of the time, students find it easier to access uplifting memories in an upright, aligned position. That's yeah. mind blowing. <laughs> it's mind blowing <laughs> and very like, of course. Yeah. You're, like, you're anchoring yourself to those positions throughout the beginning of you being a fetus. Like if something loud or a bright light or a crash, <laughs> structurally, you have a response to that. So anchoring is a neurolinguistic programming term. Like an obvious anchor would be for a person would be like, think of like how it, certain songs make you feel. So if you're a person that does maybe a sport or public speaking or whatever, you might have a song 
that you play because you have anchored those sounds and that that rhythm to oh when i hear that i'm just like oh, i'm ready to go like yeah let's do it and that's you could play that song to some dude in cambodia he'd be like i don't you know whatever i know what you're talking about i don't give a shit this isn't my thing but to me because i've anchored that song that's my song you've done the exact same thing with your structural patterns you know so when you are in a certain position so say like the collapsed position which in the book we describe as the mopey archetype you know so when you're in that collapsed position that oftentimes i for example was trained in in school i slump over in the desk i curl my tail or my sacrum my coccyx underneath like a sad puppy dog kind of just collapse in the desk I kind of just like it to me what that is because we're communicating with body language far more than our actual physical speak. There's a, a study I referenced in the book from Albert Morabian called the 55387 principle. 55% of our communication comes from body language, 38 is tonality, and 7% is the words. That's if there's incongruence between what we are saying and the tone and the manner in which we say it. If it's like a phone conversation, it's a little bit different. Or if you're talking about computer programming or something like that, where there's not emotion a part of it, that it changes. But if I'm saying that I'm happy, I'm saying that I'm just loving this experience with you, Melissa. This is great. I love this. When you hear me say that, if all of a sudden I start talking faster, I look away from you, my hips are facing the door, kind of pacing my feet underneath, your reptilian mammalian self is with 93% of yourself is watching that and saying, dude, you don't want to be here. You're not happy in this relationship. I know you say you love me, but come on. <laughs> like your body talks. Yeah. I have lately been focusing on just the importance of aligning everything, aligned thoughts, feelings, behavior, the way I speak. If one of those is off, then I can feel it a little bit. I should say I can feel it when they're all aligned even more so. When one of them's off, that's how I used to just live my life. That's how a lot of people live their lives. But when I found that place of, wow, everything is going towards that thing. And it might not be some goal. I mean, more so, how do I want to feel today? What I like to really focus on my emotional drivers. So I've taken the time to go back to all my happiest moments and figure out what feelings I was feeling on all of those times to really kind of come to my values. And I realized that the things that drive me are freedom, excitement, and awe. And so I set a lot of my goals. I make my decisions based on, will this give me one of these feelings? Or when I think of all of these, does any of those feelings come up rather than I mean, sometimes there's a little fear if I'm pushing farther, but when those are aligned and I can get my thoughts, behaviors, and actions and my environment and the people I surround myself with all on the same level, that's when it feels like I'm just going with the flow. I'm not swimming upstream anymore. I'm yeah. moving with the stream. Yeah. And your body, just to be all metaphorical, your body is a compilation of a bunch of streams. Mm -hmm. And if you can be in the flow and in alignment with those various rivers, you can call the rivers, you know, blood vessels or the lymphatic system or the nervous system or the you know, all the pipes that are circulating through your body. If they are in alignment, then that fluid can circulate well and you are a healthy, fully circulated organism that will is fairly impervious to disease where disease manifests is when there is restriction and contraction which leads to dehydration and rigidity and then festering 
and then now we have an issue. So that's where if you look in, in like a river, a pond would be maybe a better example. That's the example I use in the book. If you have a I used to before I got into all this body stuff, I wanted to be a landscape architect. That was what I wanted to do when I was like 14. So I was really into water features, so building ponds. And I just loved it. I'd go and like sit out beside my pond for like hours and just like it's just like this little world is beautiful. But if you get the incorrect power of pump, you get like, okay, cool, we're gonna get I have this big old pond that demands a thousand gallons per hour, but I'm gonna skimp out and buy the hundred gallon per hour pump, you're gonna have an unhealthy pond because you don't have adequate circulation of the fluids. Now, what if we instead of not only do we have a lower pumping system in the human body, it'd be like not walking enough, not spending more, enough time on the ground, getting up and down, not reaching up over your head, essentially all the principles in the book, not breathing correctly. Now, what if we just put that pump and we isolate it to just some specific parts of the body of the pond? Now, all of a sudden you have this whole side of the pond that's cut off and it's just the fish are getting sick and it's allergy ground. And it's like, holy crap. Then that starts to pour into the rest of the pond. And now we have this really big issue. Maybe we call that, I don't know. I mean, it's, I don't want to say any specific disease, but you could like fill in the blank of some form of disease the body can manifest, like the pond metaphor. And uh, we have a real issue. But it, the core issue came from a place of contraction and came from a place of, of lack of expression of movement and maybe a lack of love. So mm -hmm. if there's parts in one's body that they are ashamed of, they will tend to contract around that space. Scoliosis, for example, there's this the highest instance of scoliosis can manifest with adolescent girls. What happens to an adolescent girl? Well, she starts growing, her chest starts getting bigger and blood's coming out of her body and men are starting to look at her as like some prey animal and it's like holy shit like it's a weird time to be a human being so it would make sense perhaps for that person in that position in their life to maybe want to hide okay well i can't go to school with a box over my body but maybe i can shrink up and make it seem as though no one can see me that seemed to work okay well now what worked for a second I made myself smaller so I felt as though I wasn't being seen. Now, all of a sudden, I'm starting to construct my body into that position. And now I've almost imprisoned myself in that state. Now I want to unwind that because I want to be a fully expressive, confident, creative, robust human organism. But I'm so deeply entrenched in those previous patterns that I've created structural shifts. And now perhaps it's time to maybe see a body worker or maybe take a dance class or maybe do meditation and you know work with relaxing your nervous system or maybe breath work or there's so many different options but you need to get out of that you know, like your body will become a prison if you allow it to and it'll also become you know the most joyous playground you've ever experienced if you allow that that particular topic means so much to me because like i said i had gone through a long battle with an eating disorder, and I've never been big. And I was ashamed of my body when everyone else thought I was the smallest one in the group, whatever it was. And I would find myself always just kind of having my hand, arms over my stomach or like kind of sinking it in. And I realized at one point I had gone through all this trauma and I started to realize that the best way for me to move through it is either to help other people through it or to dive deep into whatever that thing was that was really getting to me. And so I decided my stomach somehow hate my stomach, even though by other people's eyes, it has 
no flaws right now. And so I took a belly dancing class when I was like 23 to help to move myself out of that. And it really did heal. I wasn't fully healed yet with my eating disorder, but it changed the way I viewed my body and it started to become something that I was more comfortable in. And I think there's really something to be said about a lot of times we feel like we have these issues in our body and we need to go fix them. So we go seek help from somebody else. And I'm not saying that's the wrong thing to do at all. That's probably one of the very right things to do. You see a doctor, you see alignment specialists, whatever, but how can you also have fun in that area of your body that you can bring a new type of expression to that one point of energy rather than just again, having another expectation of it and forcing it into submission? Yeah. I wouldn't recommend seeing a doctor just because a doctor comes from another school of thought, which is valuable if you got, you know, shot in the belly and that's the issue with your belly. But it's like, if all you have is a hammer, then everything looks like a nail. You know, so I would seek someone that specializes in that thing, but maybe a little bit more holistic approach. Like when it comes to, I'm feeling anxiety or I'm having trouble with my sleep. I hate myself. Like I really just don't like this human experience then i think that's like it we put so much pressure on md doctors in our culture we see them as like the high priest shaman and they're so immensely valuable this is all stuff that's very common knowledge i think but they're so immensely valuable i have so much respect for doctors and they can't do everything that'd be ridiculous i think what we will see and maybe we're seeing it now but i think that really high level body workers that aren't just like fluff and massage, which there's nothing wrong with that. Well, touch is immensely valuable. But if you're listening now and you have stuff in your body that you don't address, like the power of touch from a masterful manual therapist, it really can shift things. So that would be something that I would recommend more people exploring. Like gift yourself a session with somebody, maybe like once a month. Oh, and just like find somebody that, you, that you've heard is really excellent from people that you trust. Like seek that out because I think it's one of those things that oftentimes people, it's like the best time to plant a tree was yesterday or whatever, but you, know, you may as well do it now. But it's like sometimes you see a person that shifts things so much for you and you're like, God, I'm 45 years old. I wish I figured this out when I was 20. So I think being quick to seek out assistance is really valuable. Like kind of like a challenge. It might not you know, resonate with everybody, but it might be an interesting challenge that I'm only recently realizing it myself, seeking out physical touch from a trusted professional, I think is a really cool thing as well, just for like practicing surrendering. That's something that me, especially being a 30 something white male, I've been trained to be strong and I can do it myself. And if I can't, then that's a form of weakness. But it's also, if you feel that way, it's also a form of leading yourself down an unsustainable path. And so I think being quick to reach out for help, I think is also a, it's a noble attribute I've been embracing recently. And it's been a really cool thing. Yeah. Plus a lot of these things feel really good. It comes back to that. Yeah. Seek what feels good. Yeah. That's how I kind of view being. A few years ago, I was at an event. I had a reading done by Paul Selig. Oh, I love Paul. Yeah, I've been following him since before anybody I knew knew who he was. And then now he's like really coming up, especially since Aubrey's podcast and all that. But he 
came to me, like, that's how he words it, where he's like, let me go to you for this when I ask him a question. And he kind of takes on the character of that person's personality. It's really interesting because he did it with a bunch of different people in the room. And it seemed like he was a really good actor. Like he would really take on that energy. And to me at the time, I had gone through a lot of shifts. I was really pushing myself to create something. And he reminded me of me, but he was basically like, Oh, you're just like, kind of like, maybe this, maybe that. Let me do this. Let me do that. And at the time I had been going to tons of workshops. I was skydiving. I was doing, getting certifications and everything. And he's like, you need to just be. (laughs) And he told me I needed to really get in touch with that being side. And I did not understand what it meant. I'm like, what do you mean? Just be like, just sit, like be okay, not doing anything. But I came to internalize it more as learning to, like we talked about in the beginning of this, really feel into this existence, like make my life a celebration and remember that I'm not just here to create something that's calling from my soul, but it's also okay to just go play. It's okay to have no reason for what I'm doing and no outcome that's going to further my career. Or I don't always have to read the book that's going to be a nonfiction. I'm going to learn something at the end. Like I can also read something that's just for the entertainment value because it lights me up a little bit. And so learning that it's just not something I've ever been used to. I've lived in my masculine energy, I think, most of my life. Yeah. I think life in general is much more squiggly, to use Alan Watts' terminology, than we'd like to think. Where you think you're going, more often than not, like you're just tricking yourself. The lessons that you think you're getting right now from this experience, you'll probably look back in five years and be like, oh, that's what that was about. Okay. You know, so the sooner that you can release your grasp of thinking that you know what the heck is going on, and the sooner that I think you can begin the process of enjoying the ride and not being just so darn intense that everything must be this way. And I think incorporating more play into your life. There's there's the second chapter of the book is all about the value of play. Play doesn't need to be like you're bouncing a basketball or you're in a jungle gym or something like that. Play can be the way that you look at a person as they are giving you receipt at a grocery store. You know, you can have a playful nature about you that is contagious. It's like that or said that quote, like, don't ask what the world needs, do what you love or what lights you up because what the world needs is more people that are doing what they're passionate about. That's like paraphrasing, but you get the point. What the world needs is people that are excited to be alive. And so if you're just in this work model, that's like, that's what killed the horse, like the workhorse. You think that you're serving the world and perhaps maybe you are, but perhaps there could be another path that you could go down, which is one of more passion and more compassion and more joy and more smiling and more opening. All of a sudden, it's like, wow, now all of a sudden, as I started going down that road, I become this little like medicine pill for people that I hang around. It's mm-hmm. like, wow, I'm like really healing the world with this being more, you know, taking myself a little less seriously stuff. Yeah, yeah so- I actually do that with laughter. It's just, I've learned that that's my medicine with almost everything, even the little day to day things like my husband gets on my nerves 
and I want to say something because I'm just in a mood or whatever. And instead, I'll make myself the ridiculous one. <laughs> I might still say something, but I'll amplify the situation so much or really make fun of a situation that seems traumatic and laugh at it because we take everything so seriously. But what if it was that same trauma happening or that same bad thing happening in a comedy episode? What would happen then? How would people mm. deal with it? And try to just view it through a different lens. And a lot of the times we realize that the things we're stuck on, the things that we think are this huge deal that are going to affect our mood for the whole day can be shifted so simply with just that minor mindset shift. Yeah. And then I think it is valuable because a lot of the stuff we're talking about is I think like somewhat nebulous and kind of like, it's kind of like when somebody says like, love yourself. And you're like, what the hell do you mean? You know? So I think like the way that we broke the book down is all focused on actionable steps that you can do right now. Like you can open up any page really like, cool like we can take something away from that so i think simple things like an example would be like starting to shift your environment a bit look around your world right now and do a little self audit of like how does my living room make me feel what does this expression mean because it's like an albert einstein quote the particle is contained and regulated by the field you know so you're a particle and you're contained and regulated by this room that you're in right now. You said it's kind of messy right now. It's, you, know, you appreciate your honesty. That makes just you that feel, corner. <laughs> that makes that makes you feel a certain way. Okay, I'm gonna put the blur thing on because that blurs. That's like, well, that's a physical manifestation of what we do in our bodies. I'll blur this so I think that people can't see this thing. I'm not picking on you. It's just an example of like the, our environments are their expressions. It's like when we walk into our room, if things feel like cacophony and things feel like disorganization or things feel dark and drab or if they feel light and bright, you walk in and it sends a feedback of this is who I am. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah, I'm this kind of person. So if you want to feel a certain way and you're in all the supplements and you're doing all the self-affirmations and then you open your eyes from the self-affirmations and you see a shithole that you're in, it's like... Oh, interesting. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm back to where I was at because I'm contained and regulated by the field. This yeah. is something that people can do that's a little bit more specific than just like love yourself is like get real about yourself and get real about the container that you inhabit. You know, get real about the clothing that you wear. What are the colors like? Are they stretchy? Are you able to go through a full range of motion? Well, if you're not, why are you wondering why your hips are tight? Wondering why you can't get your arms all the way over your head? You're literally wearing a fucking cast on your body all day and then you put a pair of gym shorts on and some tube socks and like go shoot hoops like your whole body your whole day it's under a state of construction you, know, you have fibroblasts and fibroclast and myoblasts and my, all these cells that are chewing old stuff up and then building new stuff up based off of you being the foreman of your show you know so if you start to change your environment a little bit change your clothes a little bit you know, change your travel experience a little bit. Maybe you could put a little bottle behind your back while you're on an airplane seat that might perhaps fold you over into that hunched over position. Maybe you could put a little support instead of being in that bucket seat, you could put a jacket or a bottle or something like that behind there to kind of open you up a little bit, you know, or maybe you could wear compression socks while you're in the airplane. So when you get off, you don't have cankles and feel like your legs are filled with lead. You know, so I think there is something to getting out of a victim type approach at life and be like, you know what, I'm going to take this life thing by the balls and I'm going to paint my walls blue because it makes me feel a way that I like. You know, there's things that we can do.
Yeah. I like to create my atmosphere based on like actually how I want to live my life. Like an example is I got rid of my coffee table because I'm like, what do I need a coffee table for? I don't have a TV. I'm not going to put my feet up on it. Like it just feels like it's in the way. So I got this little table instead and I got rid of the rug there and I put a yoga mat. So the yoga mat's just always ready (laughs) for me. And before my interviews, between interviews, I'll go and do like a little 15 minute workout several times a day along with my normal yoga. But like that way, it keeps me feeling like I'm moving even on those days that I'm kind of stuck. 15 minutes, four times a day is an extra hour that feels like I'm doing nothing. Like I still have my other physical activities. And also like getting a standing desk, making things easy for you to live the lifestyle that you want to live. Because the more that you have to set up everything, the more you have to dig the clothes out for your workout from the back of the closet or Say you're going to go to 630 yoga and you don't have your stuff ready. Like, just make those things easy for you. That was one thing that James Clear said on an interview I just did with him and all about building those habits and structuring your environment to really support the habits that you're trying to create. Yeah. And you don't want to set yourself up, in my opinion. You don't want to set yourself up for disaster or failure, rather. And so if you're not going to go to the class at 630, don't tell yourself you're going to go to the class at 6.30. So if you're like, my goal for the other day was I have a person helping with me like email and whatnot. So I was like, cool, I'm going to get emails down to, in my mind, I was like, I want to get it down to zero. And that way it'll be like clean slate down to zero. I'm like, it's just not possible. So I was like, cool, I want to get the emails down below 15. You know, and have setting like an actual approachable goal for yourself. I want to lose let's put 65 pounds, you know, on this date far away. What do you want to do today? How do we lose two pounds? Because if you lose two pounds, then you can start to set yourself up for this cycle of feeling like a success. So I think that that's something that I've just noticed in myself is having this tendency of setting these goals that I consistently I'm like just so short on. And then I'm like, God, man, I kind of suck. And then I think there's also something to like shooting for the stars. And even if you miss, you'll end up on the moon or whatever, however that phrase goes. There is value to having robust, lofty goals. But I think within that, there is also great value in actually saying what you do and meaning what you say, you know, and being like, I've seen this habit of myself because you're observing your habits just like you observe anybody else yeah so you're in relationship with yourself and so if your relationship is like this motherfucker every time he says something he just does not do it yeah you start to distrust it you know so give yourself small victories make your bed in the morning you get up make your bed you look back you're like yeah i'm like a made bed kind of guy all right cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh- things like that are valuable I think it's really important. Like I know that set a really lofty goal, which used to be hard for me because I'm like, I don't want to fail, but I like to set the big lofty goal. But then when you break it down, because all big goals, you need to break down into small manageable goals, have those be the ones that you know are going to be achievable so that you don't accidentally create evidence for your own lack of follow through (laughs) or your own, I can't do any of this. So So I totally agree. If you're walking up a mountain or something, you're going to go in and out of looking to the top of the mountain, i.e. your vision board or whatever you're into, and then back down at your feet. But if you're some new agey, whatever person in Venice that's like just so deeply entrenched in your vision board, (laughs) but you've never looked at the rocks in front of you, you're not going to get there. 
that's not the like yeah. the law of manifestation or attraction or whatever. It's like, no, you do work. You know, you yeah. create this vision and then you reverse engineer all the way back to the path where you're at right in front of you. And then you move through that and you have this compass of where you're going. But it's a combination of, cool, I look up to the top mountain. It looks like, okay, are we oriented right? Okay, check the compass. Okay, cool. All right, back to the dirt. Yeah. You know, and then they're like, oh, like we haven't looked up for five minutes. Let's look up again. So, oh, oh, yeah. Okay, we're good. Oh, we kind of went off a little bit. Let's pull back. <laughs> no, but if all you're doing the whole time is looking up into the clouds, I think you're going to end up becoming like an annoying hippie. <laughs> an annoying hippie. I know. I understand completely. I've had these same conversations with people and I'm like, okay, I, I get the power of manifesting, but if you're just sitting here dreaming it and you're not actually going out and oh. that other part of the alignment, are your behaviors supporting that goal that your thoughts are? Just because you create that energy around it doesn't mean you'll get there. So I think annoying hippie is a great spot to end this episode. (laughs) So for those people that are resonating and need a little bit more body alignment and structure, where can they connect with you online? Well, the thing that I care most about presently is this child that was recently birthed. It's my first child called the Align Method book. And it's I'm just so immensely grateful for how well it's been received so far. It's a number one bestseller on Amazon. It was number one new release and exercise and fitness. And it's like... I've been so astounded by just how well appreciated it's been. And it's been like a spiritual experience, actually, that whole thing, because I've had a lot of like self-doubt, self-worth stuff. And now seeing this evidence, it's very cool. So that's been the main primary project for the last two years. And essentially, it's a user's manual for most of the stuff we're talking about, but from a physical perspective. You know, So the way that you inhabit your body in any momentary situation is meaningful. We've never really gotten an education on how to do that effectively, getting into the way that sight affects our physiology and sound and touch and body language and all of that. So if people are interested in going deeper into that, I would just recommend grabbing the book from you know wherever you get books, The Align Method. And then I also host a podcast called The Align Podcast, and there's, there's other stuff beyond that. There's, you know, there's lots of things, but start with a book. It's a great starting point. All of the links from this episode will be at mindlove.com slash 130. So your challenge this week is to do a real honest audit of your life right now. What's out of order? You might know this right away. Like, yeah, I've totally been shoving things in drawers and under the bed instead of folding them and putting them away. Or, yeah, I haven't been paying much attention to my bank account at all. (laughs) Most of us will have an area or two that immediately come to mind. But then do a deeper dive. Let your intuition guide you. Sit with your feelings. Does anything feel off? Have you been stressed or irritable? Is anything off with your health or your relationship? These are the questions that we have to ask ourselves if we want to get back into alignment. Because the first step to any change is being honest about where you're starting from. And then make a plan from there. And consider starting small. You want to build evidence for your success, not for your lack of follow through. So if this episode was helpful for you, please take a screenshot and share it on social media and tag Mind Love Melissa and Align Podcast. If you know of someone in particular who could really use this episode, please press the share button and share the link. If you haven't subscribed or reviewed, five-star reviews are so helpful for the growth of this show. More subscribers means even better guests, so please share, rate, and review. Also, it is my birthday in two days, so please, if you haven't already, follow me on Instagram at mindlovemelissa. Thanks for giving your mind a little love today, and I'll see you next week.
Thanks for tuning into your higher frequency with Mind Love. Head to mindlove.com for a free gift to keep your vibes up until next week. 